How are you? Good, good. Merry Christmas, or kind of Christmas. It's great to have you folks at all the other campuses join us. I am thrilled to be here at Rolling Meadows this morning. I've missed you guys a little bit. Uh, well, some of you I've missed um, a little bit. Listen, before we get started today, if you want to get a head start, Isaiah 42 Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9 is what we're going to be studying. We're in a new series for the next few weeks leading into Christmas. I'll explain that in just a second. Um, while you're turning there, I just need to thank this church for something I've already noticed. Um, if I had to describe Harvest Bible Chapel with one word uh, in the five months I've been here, it, it is that this is a generous church. I, I mean that financially, but I also mean it in terms of uh, love and time and commitment and heart, it's, uh, it's been a remarkable experience to witness it from somebody coming from the outside and being the, actually, in many cases, the object of your generosity. And so I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to be here be, because of that. Um, I also say that because the end of the year, December is the time that most nonprofits end up making requests of people to kind of double down on their giving. A lot of businesses wait till the end of the year to find out what, how much money they've made this year, and so they, they end up tithing or giving up certain percentage. So we just want to encourage you to be considering the local church. Uh, actually, just tell you the local church is what God's doing in the world, and we have a huge number of things that we're really excited about. Next year, we're gonna be starting our leadership development program. We're gonna be training pastors within the walls of Harvest Bible Chapel in partnership with Grace Theological Seminary. You'll hear more about that in the future. We're also gonna be doing a lot of church planting. We've already struck up a partnership with a bunch of other Chicago churches to plant dozens and dozens and dozens of churches in Chicagoland and far afield. So we're really thrilled about it. We're gonna be training pastors and sending them out and training leaders and sending them out and becoming a healthier and healthier, healthier in church um, because of it. So anyway, we need to, uh, to kind of double our giving. Normally, we, we budget about a million dollars a month, and so at the end of the year, uh, we budget about two million because people are so accustomed to giving at the end of the year. So just want to commend that to you. Uh, if perhaps you've just gotten behind on some of your giving, or perhaps you just feel that the Lord is going to touch your heart and ask you to give a little bit more. I'm just asking us to be who we are in the end, right? We are a generous people, and Christmas is a particular time when it comes to this sort of stuff. I don't know if you ever thought about, um, and the Apostle Paul gets an opportunity to, to motivate people to give to a collection that he's taking up for the poor in Jerusalem. He comes to, a, comes to the church, and, uh, and to the church in Corinth, and he says, look, here, I'm not gonna tell you to give money because of the law. I'm not gonna tell you to give money because God requires 10% and that's what you need to give or whatever. He, he comes, comes along and he says, listen, I just want you to consider that he who is rich became poor that you might become rich. That, that Jesus willingly gave up his place with God in heaven to come down and be born a servant. He was rich, became poor so that you might become rich. And so Paul's basically saying, if you think about that long enough, it makes you think about your money very differently. You who are rich, let's become poor so that people can become rich in Christ. Anyway, I commend that to you. Um, switch gears, Isaiah chapter 42, verses one to nine. Um, 
The hardest part about Christmas, I think, is waiting. Um, I, I, I grew up in a family where Christmas was a really, really big deal. We had the Advent calendar, which many of you have, which has the cho- chocolates in it, right? Which made it, of course, fun, and you got to switch it every day. And, you know, sometime in June, the next year, you find that you forgot, you know, December 16th, and now that chocolate's all white. This Advent calendar gives you a sense of, you know, counting down, 15th day or the 16th day, and you just, it tends to ramp up the expectation. You start playing Christmas music. Um, godly people play Christmas music after Thanksgiving. Um, the rest of, of you wicked people do it ahead of that. But you know, it's gotten more and more ahead of it because people are like, ooh, I'm just so excited about the trees and the lights and all the stuff. So I'm gonna get it started earlier so I can get the feeling, the vibes going a little quicker. Uh, We drive around to see the Christmas lights. Uh, I gotta tell you, (laughs) in New Zealand, there was one house that had, they don't do Christmas lights much there. There was one house that had like one string of lights and a little star on the front, front lawn with lights around it. And people came from all over to see this house. They were like, whoa, that's pretty crazy, right? But you know, the lights get us us all excited about what's to come. When I was a kid, I used to go into this room where my mom would hide the presents. She thought she was always hiding, but I would count the number of presents to make sure that my sisters were getting less than I than I was gonna get. My kids now, actually one of my sons, he just freaks out if he sees a single present before Christmas. He wants to come down the stairs Christmas morning and see the tree with, you know, the three presents we're gonna give him under this tree, you know? We give him more than three, uh, but we shouldn't. (laughs) You know how hard, you remember how hard it was to sleep Christmas Eve? Like some of you still are like that. Some of you kids are like, I know what you're talking about, man. Parents now, you, got, you don't feel that way at all because you're like, oh man, sleeping, I can, I can do it because you're so tired from the season and you go to sleep and your kids wake you up at 4 a.m. Is it time yet? No, go back to bed. But then they sit on the edge and they shake and they go get their brothers and sisters up. Can I lay in bed with you until seven? Some people require their kids to stay at the edge of the stairs until 8 a.m., or whatever, whatever it is, and they get up and get their coffee. There's, there's this expectation. When I was a kid, uh, we started with our stockings, and everybody would open stuff. My, my mom would always open her, the gift she got herself for the, her stocking, and she'd be like, ooh, what I got? <laughs> we would have presents, and then we'd eat this thing called sausage souffle because we're Christians. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what, some of you don't, apparently, eat the sausage souffle. You're gonna have to start, or you're not gonna make it to heaven. Um, and then, of course, I always have a nap afterwards because, oh, my word, the expectation and the buildup and then the moment of it, and then you're just like, I just have to sleep. I just have to sleep. Waiting's hard. It's hard. It's kind of a microcosm of what it was like for the people of Israel waiting for the first Christmas. I mean, take the Christmas season that we struggle waiting. We want the day to come. We want the day to come. Take that feeling and multiply it by, I don't know, a thousand, a million. (laughs) And now you've got what the people of Israel are feeling. They have been promised way early on that they were going to have land and blessings and they were going to have freedom and a kingdom that was never going to end. And yet all they ever found themselves was under the thumb of another oppressor. 
the time that Jesus came, it was Rome. But they were just the last in a long line of oppressors who just came along. And all they wanted was freedom. They wanted God to fulfill the promise that he made all those years ago. They pray and pray and pray and seek God's will, and they just didn't happen. They just had to wait and wait. And what made it harder, quite honestly, is that guys like Isaiah, prophets, had written so much detail about the deliverer who was going to come and free them from the oppression, the Messiah, the Christ, the one, right, for all you Matrix fans. He was going to come and he was going to do it finally. There had been others who'd come, Judas Maccabeus and other guys with big swords and power, and they'd come and said, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one who's going to free you. And yet, of course, the Romans would crush them, all of them. So they just wanted someone to come and fulfill the promises that Isaiah had, had made. What we're going to do over the next few weeks at least the next two, is we're going to look at a couple of those promised passages in Isaiah and what they describe about the one who's coming who ends up, of course, being Jesus. What's he supposed to do when he arrives? We're calling that portion the promise arriving, and then on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day and the day after, the 25th and 26th, we're going to talk about the promise arrived. Okay, now that he's here, what, what does it say about what he's done when he's here, and the implications of the fact that he's come. So, I'm really excited about talking about Isaiah. It's not a book that a lot of people study all the time, but this passage in Isaiah chapter 42 uh, is really trying to address this question. How did Isaiah describe what Jesus would do when he arrived? Like, what's Jesus supposed to be about? Before he even came, what was his mission? And we're gonna learn quite a few things. I have four answers to that question. What was his mission? And here's the first. Jesus, in his mission, he brings justice. He brings justice. So let me show you Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold, do you love the word? Behold, look. Isaiah says, okay, pay attention now. Behold, my servant. Now, we don't know who this is yet. We do now because we know that Jesus fulfilled this, as I'll show you in a minute. But he's talking about a servant who's a promised one who's going to come and do all the things he's about to describe. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, I here being God, right? God is speaking this through the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, he's my chosen one, in whom uh, my soul delights. Do you remember, uh, some of you are Christians, do you, do you remember if you, uh, the baptism of Jesus and Jesus comes out of the water of the Jordan River and God speaks from heaven and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Same phrase. This is the one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. Remember the spirit falls like a dove and rests upon him. And he will, here's his job. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So that's a word that we like these days, right? We, talk, we, we put modifiers in front of it. We want racial justice and socioeconomic justice and justice, justice, and all kinds of justice. What it means is Jesus is going to bring forward a world where all the concerns of all are addressed. That there, there, there's no special group or special person who receives some sort of favor from those in power that the others do not, because that's the world we, you know that, that's the, the world we live in. If you know 
a guy, you have favor. If you don't, you don't. Governments, if, if, you, if you have power in the government, you're able to get done what you want to get done. It doesn't matter what everybody else wants to do. We say lines like, rules for thee and not for me. Yeah, right. The reason we say that, and we get so angry when we see that guy who's putting mask mandates on everyone standing in a, in a room and not wearing a mask is because that's unjust, we say. Why is it that him and all of his buddies don't have to do what the rest of us have to do? And the answer is, because that's how it works. We, we live in a world of, of injustice. We've got people groups who've been treated for centuries as less important or valuable than other people groups. And those people groups who have been oppressed are standing up and saying, justice. Right, justice. Like our whole world wants, wants justice. We try to get it in lots of different ways, usually through politics. And for some reason, it keeps not happening. My um, businesses do it as well. You've worked with unjust businesses before, you know, and they overcharge you or they, when they, they put their finger on the scales to use biblical language, you know, like it used to cost this much, but now it's this much because of these circumstances. One of my, fav- one of my least favorite moments in my life where I've experienced injustice, I'll tell you this story. I was uh, actually worked at a car rental agency on September 11th, 2001. So worked in an airport at a car rental agency. The Twin Towers come down in New York City. I don't go into work that day because all the airports are closed. But the next day I show up at work and my boss tells me, look, all the cars that used to be $20 a day are now $400 a day. Just so you know, I don't want any car going out of here that is not going for like the highest amount that you can possibly get. Because all of the all of the airlines have canceled their flights and people are going to come to the car rental agency and say, I got to drive to this location or that location. So I want you to make sure, he didn't say, I want you to gouge them, but that's what he meant, right? And I was like, hmm. I asked some questions like, doesn't that seem wicked to you? And he was like, no, 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 this is business, this is business, all right. So anyway, he leaves I'm standing at the counter, my budget counter, and uh, up comes a number of people. One of them was this young couple who needed to travel. I was in the northwest corner of the United States, and they needed to get back to New York because their wedding was in a week. And they had all these people, they, they were just overwhelmed. She was just, I mean, she must have been 22 years old, and she was in tears, and her whole dream was going to be shattered and stuff. And they said, do you have any cars? And I said, well, yeah, we, we've got cars. And what's the price? Ding, ding, ding. It's $400 a day. No. She starts crying. We didn't pay that much for the flight. Oh, no. And I said, well, look, I have a Cadillac back here. <laughs> I did. I had this, like, leather interior, brand new Cadillac that had come from out of the area. And I said, I got a Cadillac back here. I'm probably, I'm willing to give it to you for $10 a day. You will? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up renting this car to these folks, right? And then the word gets around. Dude, I had a line. I had a, all the other guys didn't have a line. I had a line going, I'm renting cars. Ten bucks. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. I'm renting all sorts of stuff. Anyway, about three or four hours later, with nearly all of our cars gone, one guy, guy said, I don't know why they're all gone. Uh, the, my boss calls me and says, 
I just found out over the inter, over the our 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 server that you are renting cars for this much. He starts yelling at me, yelling at me. I'm gonna be down that right now. How how dare you do this? I said. He said this is unjust, and I said no. You are unjust. How dare you take advantage of people on the country's worst day? Stop it. You're fired. I don't care. Right. Right, yeah, amen. And we love that. We're like, oh, yeah, that's right. But that's the world we live in. It's an unjust world. People take advantage of whatever they can at the particular moment they take advantage of it. But Jesus is going to come and he's going to change all that. He's, he's going to bring justice to the nations. All those who are oppressed will no longer be oppressed. He will bring justice to the nations. Notice, though, how he brings it. Now, Hugh and I, when we first start thinking, oh, how do you bring justice? You know how you bring it? With a gun, boy. You, you, that's how you bring justice, right? With a big sword and a hammer and a big voice. I'm gonna get, like an army. Because you want to force those unjust people to do your bidding. That's the way we do it in the world. If I'm gonna bring justice, I bring my political agenda in and I crush the opposition. But notice what Jesus does. Um, he, he won't cry aloud or, or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. <laughs> I remember a baseball coach I had when I was little, and every time he made something, a mistake, he'd be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? His veins popping out all over the place. If you don't get any better, I'm going to pull you out of there and put Joey in there, and he stinks. And you're... That's, that's the way you get people to do what you want, right? Is you yell at them. You belittle them. You, you, you force them into it. Jesus, he's not gonna do that. He's not gonna cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Look, a bruised reed he won't break. So, so if, if the wind has come and it's, it's bent a reed and knocked it over a little bit, instead of coming and uprooting that thing, he's not gonna do that. He's gonna come and he's gonna try to restore that thing. A faintly burning Wick, when the candle's basically done at the end and you're like, I gotta get rid of it, we throw it out. He's not gonna throw it out. He won't quench that. He will instead faithfully bring forth justice. He won't grow faint or be discouraged till he has established, you notice his point over and over again, justice in the earth and the coastlands. Wait for his law. Look, like I said, normally rulers come and they try to beat the snot out of people and use brute force to bring forth their justice. They smash things and then they rebuild them, but Jesus won't do that. In fact, John Oswald, one of the commentators on this passage, he said it really well. He said, God's answer to the oppressors of the world is not more oppression, nor is his answer to the arrogance more arrogance. Rather, in quietness and humility, he will take all of the evil into himself and he will return only grace. What a difference, right? Like when one political party comes in, it's like you oppressed us. Now we're oppressing you. But Jesus, that's not, no. No, he comes to restore, not to oppress. Can I just pause here for a minute? I mean, you need to hear that Jesus is here and coming to bring forth justice. That's his end game. The world that we are headed for and going to inhabit is a just world that Jesus brings. So if you're a Christian, 
You're all about that justice. You're all about that justice. We are justice people. Let me explain to you what I mean, what I mean by this. Here's the hard question you have to ask, right? When, so, so if this is talking about the coming of Jesus when he was born, why is it that when Jesus comes and he's born, he doesn't bring justice? I mean, here we are. We're a long time after that, 2,000 years after it, and still we're dealing with injustice. So what, did, he not, did it not work? Did he fail? No, I'm going to draw you a picture. Ready for some theology? This is a diagram that is going to help the Bible make massive amounts of sense to you. Okay, so we're pulling back to 30,000 feet, and I'm going to drop down what God's doing in the world right now. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. This is like, this is good stuff right here. I'm just gonna tell you, right? Okay, so here, here you go, here you go, here you go. Um, the, the scriptures describe the kingdom of God. Actually, I take that back. Let me start it again. The scriptures describe the kingdom of God as being a kingdom that started when Jesus came, and is going to last forever. So it's called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light. There's another kingdom though, and that's the kingdom that we've been in and still are in. It comes to an end, guys, at Jesus' return. Here's Jesus' first coming, here's Jesus' second coming. So this is the kingdom of men or the kingdom of darkness, it's called in scripture. Here's the challenge that you and I have as Christians. This is, this is what God is doing in the world. He has broken in with the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. But there is this overlap. And we live right here, or here, or here, depending on how excited you are about the second coming. So, so this is a challenge for us because we are, listen now, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's our citizenship. In your passport is kingdom of God. The problem is you also have another passport and it says United States of America or Canada or Kenya or whatever. But you're a kingdom of God citizen who's inhabiting this world. Now that sounds like we're, we're subversive. You know what this means, of course, is that when the church gathers, we're basically an embassy. That's what we do. We are this little light uh, place in the middle of a dark community that is a, filled with people who are emissaries of the king, who come together and we encourage each other. I try to remind you what the rules are and what the values are of the kingdom of God. It's a just kingdom, I say. And then you take that and you go out. And you take the little kingdom of Godness, the little light, and you shine it in dark places. That's how God is achieving his justice in this time. He will achieve it fully. When he comes, we will live in a just world. But in the meantime, the way God has chosen to achieve his justice, as Jesus comes, people have faith in him in this time, and he plants his justice in each one of you by the power of the Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that if you're a mechanic here, and you decide that you're, gonna, you're a Christian, you gather together with the embassy of God, and we try to build you up, and you're thinking about the kingdom and the rules and the values of it, and then you shoot out, and you don't leave it behind, 
You are a little emissary of the kingdom. And you go plant yourself in a mechanic shop, and instead of acting like a kingdom of darkness mechanic, you act like a kingdom of light mechanic. Not just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but acting in a just manner towards your work. You don't, you say, I'm not going to lie about it. If you're a lawyer, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm here to bring the reign of Christ. I'm here to bring the light of Christ to bear in this dark place. And that involves, yes, preaching and proclamation of the gospel, but even so, it still means living out kingdom life. And some people are going to hate it. You're going to be the aroma of death to some. But to some, you'll be the aroma of life. Whole subcultures can be redeemed through you being planted as a kingdom of justice and light, kingdom of God representative in that place. And that's God's mission for you here and now as we await his second coming. Second. First, Jesus brings justice. Second, Jesus brings blessing. Let's look at verse 5. Ooh, look at that go away. That's fun. (laughs) Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. He's speaking now to the Servant, right? He described who he was. I'm the creator God. Now he's speaking to the servant. He says, I am the Lord. Look, I I will take you, servant, Jesus. I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm going to keep you. But I'm also going to give you as a covenant for the people. What does that mean? Covenant for the people. All right, let me give you the Bible in three minutes. Here's basically a grand picture of what happens in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus. Uh, God comes to a guy named Abram, and he says, I'm going to choose you to be my guy, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. It's weird, because Abram's wife can't have kids, so miracle. (laughs) But I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants are going to be like the sands on the seashore. There's going to be so many of them, you won't be able to count them. And he does. God comes, and he makes... Abram that. Um, He has some requires for Abram, though. In fact, he wants to enter a a covenant with him, a contract. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to give you land and blessing and all sorts of cool stuff, Abram. Uh, I need you to obey me. I need you to follow me, okay? God makes this promise, and he commits himself to it. Well, you know what happens. Abram starts out, and he's following God for a while, but after a while, you know what it's like. We're prone to wander, and so he starts wandering off, and his progeny, his, his descendants start wandering off away from the Lord, but the Lord who made a commitment to Abram decides, listen, I'm not gonna let you just go down there and not experience the blessings of the covenant I've made with you. I'm actually gonna chase you down. He chases him down, come back here, come here, come here. Okay, let's restore this. He sends a prophet. The prophet calls them back, and they restore repentance. There they are. They're with God again, and then they start like a stupid sheep, start going the other way, and okay, you're getting near a cliff there. Come back here, and the Lord keeps pursuing and keeps pursuing and keeps pursuing. But the problem 
And the reason that the people can't experience the joy and benefits and the blessings of the covenant is because they're unable to uphold the obedience necessary to do that. They can't fulfill their side of the bargain, the contract. What they need is somebody to come and like represent them. Maybe somebody who's Jewish who can come and represent them as a whole nation and accomplish what they as a nation can't do. He can accomplish it himself and somehow his work is then distributed to all of them somehow. We need a substitute. And God says, yes, that's exactly right. And so enter Jesus, born of a virgin, he comes and he, uh, when he starts his ministry, he does some really interesting things. Like, he ends up gathering 12 disciples around him. Why is he getting 12? There's the 12 nations, or the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And so he, he's baptized in a river, just like the people were baptized in the sea. And when he comes up out of the river, he goes and spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. That's an odd number. It sounds very much like the 40 years that the people were tempted in the desert, desert. yes? Jesus is basically taking upon himself all of Israel, and he's basically saying, okay, I'm gonna put you all on my back, and I'm going to fulfill the law, I'm going to fulfill the covenant, so that everyone who is in me, by faith, is able to experience the blessings of that covenant. So here's, here's an image that might help, okay? We, by faith, this is the beauty of this is that this is extended not to just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well, like people like you and me. Jesus comes and says, look, I'm just gonna give this to everyone. Everyone, no matter where you're from, you're gonna access this covenant by faith. So here's an image that I've used before. I will use it again because it's as good as I can do. Um, so you wanna go to Hawaii? Of course you do. Like, who doesn't want to go to Hawaii? It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Talk about blessings. Hawaii is like embodiment of blessings. The problem is we got to get there. Um, we could swim. It's, not, it's probably going to work, okay? Uh, we could row our boat, but you've seen Castaway, right? That didn't work. Um, There's lots of different ways to get on paddleboard maybe and start doing that paddle thing. You get tired. Like no matter how hard you try, you on your own are unable to get to Hawaii. But there is this machine. There is this machine, but here's what's required. It's, it has the ability to get to Hawaii. But the only way for you to get there is not by flying yourself, but by getting into the flying machine, right? You enter into it, you come into it, and in so doing, I don't know if you ever noticed this, you surrender, you completely surrender yourself to it. Where it goes, you go. What it experiences, you're gonna experience, but you sit down and the pilot says, hey, relax, enjoy the flight. Now you can sit there and you can be doing this the whole time. Yeah, we're flying to Hawaii flying at an incredible rate of speed, right? It won't matter. 
can work as hard as you want. You can run them up and down. The, I won't matter. It's not you who's getting you there. It's the plane that's getting you there. It's the submission. It's the faith you've placed in the machine and its capability to get you there. If you do this, you will arrive in Honolulu, get out the sun, and they'll put the little flowers around your neck. You do see that this is basically what Jesus is saying. I am headed toward blessing. I am the only way for you to get to the blessing, but it's gonna require something from you. And that is you have to leave behind all of your approaches that you've taken up to this point to gain it. You can't get there. You're not good enough. So leave it all behind. Get on the plane. Sit down in the seat. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. So basically... uh, God offers deliverance from judgment along with present and eternal blessing for all who put faith in his son. Man, someone who gives a gift like that. Think think about that for a minute. That God has given his son for your benefit that you might receive the blessings of the covenant. Eternal blessings of the covenant. He gave his son for that. Someone who gives you that kind of gift must love you a lot. Because you do know that the size of the gift really does indicate the size of love that people have, right? You know, like, you know that. Like, if I want to go and I want to date, you know, I'm going to have a girl, and I'm going to, oh, I'm excited, you know, 18 years old, and I'm going to give her a Christmas gift, and one of the options of the Christmas gift is a Starbucks card. Here's $10. You can get a single Starbucks. Or a diamond necklace. Like, when she receives... One of those, she's going to think something different than if she receives the other, isn't she? She receives the Starbucks card. She's like, oh, thanks. I guess we'll get a coffee sometimes. If she gets the diamond necklace, she's like, well, hello. (laughs) Right? Because the the large gift is given out of a heart full of love. Can you imagine how how big the heart full of love God has for you because he gave you his son? You are loved. Right, third, Jesus brings light. So um, I want to go back to this speech that, he's, that he gives. Verse six, he says, I, I'm the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. He's speaking to the, to the servant. I've called you in righteousness. I'll take you by a hand and I'll keep you. I'll give you as a covenant. That's what we just talked about for the people, but also a, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are, notice, the darkness, the blind, to bring about the prisoners from the dungeon, right? Those uh, from the prisoners who sit in darkness. This image of of Jesus being the light is so common, right, in in the Bible. In fact, uh, John himself, he really builds up on this. He said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus comes as a light in the midst of a massive dark. Well, that's his image. This world is dark, both morally and spiritually. People are lost. Is what in the dark, you don't know where to go. You bump into everything. You don't know what's dangerous or what's safe. And Jesus comes and he sheds light so that you know where you're headed, where you came from, where the dangers are, and how it is that you can go forward in safety. Similarly, in John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, look, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light, the light of life. 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever been caving before. I have in New Zealand. They have it's a big thing there. Uh, spelunking. If you descend into the abseil, you descend by you know you have a rope around you and you bounce off the walls. You descend into this hole in the ground. When you get down there, you unfasten yourself and you walk forward. And no kidding, within a few feet, you can't see anything. And by darkness, I mean I, you've probably never experienced darkness like that. You can put your hand in front of your face like that. You can't see. You can't see any. You can't see anything at all. Complete blindness. When I went with this group, they wanted to make a spiritual point of this. So we went down, we get into this cave, and he said, okay, can everybody see, anybody see anything? Uh-huh. No, you can't. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pop my little headlight on, and, so you're gonna, and I'm going to shine it in the darkness, and you're going to see where you are. So he popped his headlight on, and he shines it around, and I noticed that I was standing on this, like, uh, precipice, <laughs> and on each side was a very long drop and a little, tr- a little trail that went straight ahead, and I was like, ooh. I'm glad I, didn't, glad I didn't move. Yeah, that's what Jesus does. In, in, in a world of darkness, he shines a light so that you know where the dangers are and where you can go forward. And Christians, listen, the Christians are people who know that because we're people of the light. Right? We're emissaries of the kingdom of light. So it defines us. We are light people. So how should we, as people of the light live in, in a world of darkness. What are the implications of this for Christian people? And so Paul does this as in, Ephes- in Ephesians 5. He says this, for you, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that's, that's an adul- that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Uh, guys, look, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of, of, of these things, these things are all these things he just mentioned. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Who? The sons of disobedience. You, you don't need to live like they do. Why? Well, for, here's your reason, at one time, you were darkness. Like they are. At one time, you were darkness. You couldn't see. The light wasn't on. You didn't know where you were or where the right way out was. You didn't know where the dangers were. But now, you are light in the Lord. So if you're light in the Lord and you're in that cave and that light is on and you're looking forward and you see where safety is, what should you do? Turn it off, right? Live like you're in darkness and see if you can find your way. Follow the people in darkness, do what they do, because of course you do. What? Like if you've got a light and you're in a cave and you don't want to use the light, what are you talking about? No, if you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Be who you are. Be who you are. It's very possible that many people who I'm talking to right now have lived their lives in darkness for a long time, even though they got the stupid headlamp on their head. Turn it on. Turn it on. So Jesus came. He came to be, bring, bring light. So live, live in the light. Last one. Jesus brings sure expectation. All right, so I'm gonna read to you this last section. Here's what I want you to notice as I read it. Okay, I'm going back a little bit. The way this passage sets up is God starts by giving his, I don't know how else to say this, his resume. And then he speaks to 
the servant, and then he comes back and he gives more resume. Watch. Thus says God, the Lord, who is he? <laughs> right? You can see him there. This is his bio. Who, who's the speaker going to be this year at the conference? Well, the Lord is. Who's he? Well, he's the one who created the heavens, and he stretched them out. He, he spread out the earth and what comes from it. He gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. By the way, there's, no, there's nobody who exists anywhere. Even the blasphemer has bre- blasphemes with breath that God gave them. So there's nobody anywhere who doesn't exist apart from God. In him we move and have our being. So he sustains everybody. He's made everything, says, says Isaiah. And then he says to the to, to, to the servant, he says, I'm the Lord. I, I've called you in righteousness. I'll take you by the hand, keep you, give you as a covenant for the people, light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in, in darkness. And he stops his address, and he goes back to his CV, his, his resume. Look, I'm the Lord. That's my name. My, my glory I, I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Everything I promised in the past, everything I promised in the past has happened exactly like I said it would. And now, new things I now declare that this servant is going to come and he's going to bring justice and light and he's going to be a covenant for you. Before they spring forth, I, I tell you of them. Dude, I mean, the image is great. He's basically saying, okay, you know, like we go on the internet today, and we're like, who do we believe? Misinformation everywhere. And some people will come forward and say, you should believe me. Why? Because I'm a doctor of epidemiology, and the blah, 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 blah. And the other guy says, well, I've got four doctorates in epidemiology and virology. And so everyone's giving you their resume so that you will listen to them. God is giving you his resume so that you will listen to him. He's saying, when I tell you that this will take place, that this servant will come and he will bring all of these things, you can bank on it because it will. It will happen. And guess what? Guess what? He was right. Matthew chapter 12. Pharisees are coming after Jesus. Jesus aware of this. He, he withdrew from there. And many followed him and, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Now Matthew says... This, this action was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the gents. Does that sound familiar to you? Matthew's basically going, yeah, he was right. It all came true. So here's the thing. I know it's difficult sometimes to believe that the descriptions God has for the coming age, for the kingdom of God, when it talks about justice and there will be no, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. I know that all of that sounds sometimes too good to be true because like guys around us, the world is not like that. Even in the church, the world doesn't seem like that. So we start thinking, oh, that's never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. But God's saying, listen, it happened once. I started it, and I'm going to finish it. 
You can bank on it. So I'll finish with this. My, my friend, um, he, he's from Africa, and he spent a good long time wanting desperately to attend Moody Bible Institute. Like for years, he wrote letters to Moody to try to get in. He eventually got into the school, but he couldn't get a visa to come. And then he couldn't get the money to pay because he doesn't have any money. And then he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't for years. He remember, he told me that each and every day, I felt like the Lord was calling me to that, that I felt like I was going to want, I had a vision, Jeff, in my head that I was going to stand at the, at the door of the registrar of that, of that school. But it never happened. It just, year after year, there were day after day, I would check the mail and it would never come, never come. Wrote so many letters. Eventually, he gave up on it. He ended up marrying a Canadian. And he moved to Canada. And he started working at a church there. He and I became friends. I hired him at my church. He and I started to travel together sometimes to go and visit other churches and do conferences and things like that. We showed up in Chicago one time. Probably about five or six years ago. And I said, well, what we should do is, I'm not knowing any of this, what we should do is we should go to Moody. And he kind of was silent, like, oh, okay. So we arrive at Moody, we're walking around, we come by the registrar's office, and he stops. And he stares at this door. And he starts to cry. And I said, what is, what's going on? And I hate registrars too, but this is weird. <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I cannot tell you, I've dreamt about like literally this moment. And they told me the story about how he tried to get in and get in and get in and he eventually is standing there, not in the way that he ever planned, but he's still there. He's still there in that moment. Everything that he believed God had promised him had come to fruition. Listen, you and I will have a day like that. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have a day where you stand before God and all that he has promised in his word will have come to fruition and you will say to yourself, I am glad I continued. In the midst of the heartache and difficulty and pain, I'm glad that I continued so that I could see the fulfillment of my God's promise. So I don't know where you are this Christmas season. I don't know if things are really tough. I don't know if they're really great. I don't know if you're, you're down because you don't know if this is all worth it. But I'm telling you, there will be a moment. And in that moment, God's justice will roll. His f- grace will envelop you. And you will be there for hundreds of thousands of years experiencing the faithfulness of your God. Patience and continued commitment will be rewarded. You can count on it, amen? Let me pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word and I'm thankful for your grace and I'm thankful for your power to accomplish the things that you have said. I'm thankful that I've had this moment in the embassy where I've been able to gather all the emissaries before we go out into the field where we are to take your justice and proclaim your word, I pray, Father, that you'd fill us with your spirit. Give us a vision, a big vision for where it is that we are in this world, where this world is going, and the confidence that comes from knowing that our God has planned it from beginning to end, and he is big enough and powerful enough to see it through. 
So fill us, Father, with joy and confidence and hope. In Jesus' name, amen.